0: 30 years since Boys in the Hood debuted at theaters across the country. Um, I was reminded about the powerful impact that this movie had on our society. When I read Lawrence Weir's New York Times column. The impact of white supremacy is all over this film. A vivid examination of it. He takes a deep dive into the black community and talks about how this film is as relevant now as it was 30 years ago. Lawrence, thank you so much for joining me on CCL Radio tonight.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I just, um, I was awestruck, first of all, that I'm this old that a movie that I loved, (laughs) um, you know, uh, as an adult is 30 years old. But the Mm. impact and the symbolism and the realness of this film um, leaked from the screen then and and started conversations that we are still having today. Talk to me about this amazing New York Times column that you put together.
1: Uh, Thank you. Uh, Thank you for your kind words. Really, I was just, uh taken aback by I'm I'm not I was a kid. I was ten years old uh when the movie came out, so I was I was a little kid. And it was deeply impactful for me because um like for example, as I said in the in the article, uh I had always been told that it was important for me as a young black man to be careful around the police, to always be aware of how I'm dressing, how I'm acting, whenever I'm interacting with the police. And I never knew why they told me that, but this film really kind of put it there on the screen years before the Black Lives Matter movement, years before Trayvon Martin or, or, or you know, Mike Brown, years before all those kinds of movements. This film put it on screen and let me know, this is what you're dealing with. But that's just one of the ways that this film is very prescient. Because not only is it talking about the police, there's also gentrification that's happening. Again, this is years before it radically changes the nation. But the conversation about gentrification, this is the first conversation about gentrification that I remember. So all those things are in this film, but you'll miss it if you're not looking for it. Um, but this film is absolutely prescient, absolutely wonderful. Uh, was a film that deeply, deeply impacted me when I saw it as a as a young boy.
0: Um, You know, it was so funny. I was talking to one of my colleagues at CCO Radio, and and one of the things about Minnesota, um, Lawrence, and I know you know this because you are a worldly scholar, is that we are not (laughs) as diverse as other parts of the country. You know, right. um, you're over at Oklahoma State University, African-American I studies am. program and teaching assistant professor of diversity, coordinator, Department of Philosophy. My I goodness, mean you're you writing for. You oh, oh, research. Research oh, oh, I did my research. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Don't don't let the smooth taste fool you. I have been reading <laughs> your work <laughs> <laughs> in Slate, The New York Times, The Root, NPR, oh. TV One, The Huffington Post. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, we <laughs> we do our that. homework over here we we do our homework uh-huh. over here, so I, I know I you, you I know you know about the lack of diversity here in our mm-hmm. area in the upper midwest and and you know, I was talking to one of my colleagues, Corey Heppler, and he was like, "You know this movie opened my eyes and introduced me to mm-hmm. a world that I had never seen before, and, and I mm-hmm. said, "You know, for me, it was like a Thursday." This was my my world. This is my my world. This is the world that my children are still experiencing. And and talk Mm -hmm. to me about that dynamic. For some people, it's an introduction. um, But for others,
1: it's a realization. Yeah, you know, the thing is that this film was simultaneously an introduction because for me, I'm in Oklahoma. And so uh-huh. I didn't know what was going on in Los Angeles. I had no idea about that. So it was an introduction yeah. to Los Angeles for me. Um, however, it was still talking about the black experience that I myself was having. So it was kind of the introduction, but also just kind of reaffirming. But for many, many white people who have no idea before before then, I mean, now it's probably a little bit different. But at that time, they had no idea about what it was like to be a black person in America, about the things that black people are kind of up against. They had no idea that these things were happening. And so this was, in many ways, a kicking down of the door and letting people know this is what it means to be black in America. This is what it means to be black in this kind of setting, because being black in a suburb is very different than being black in the inner city. And so this is an unapologetic inner city black tale. Uh, and so for many white people across the country, they just had no idea that these kinds of things were happening. And so many people at the end, I hope people have seen the movie. I don't, I don't want to ruin it for the end. But many people, what happened at the end, it shook them. And it shook me too um, because it was so impactful to see how the film ended. I'm, I'm really trying not to ruin it, but you know, hopefully they see the film. But when you get past that emotional reaction to the ending and you go back and you watch the film, you begin to see things like the conversations about white supremacy, but he doesn't call them white supremacy. Like all these other things that are going on in the film, that he's been trying to tell us through the film, um, oftentimes get missed because of the, the impactful ending, but they are absolutely there. And he is absolutely trying to tell us a larger story about America, but doing it through the guys of the young boy.
0: Okay. How did he get this movie Greenlit? He is in his twenties <laughs> and we we were not as woke now. Um he had all of these messages in this movie that if you were not um educated you missed. You did mm-hmm. not see it. Um, I, I watched it again after I saw your column, um, and, and was reminded that this is the 30 year anniversary, and, and looked at some of the things that you talked about that you pointed out uh, that were so poignant and pre- prevalent in the film. And I'm like, how did I miss that? How did I not see? You know, uh, uh, you know, Furious uh, talking about gentrification and owning land and supporting black owned businesses. And how did I not hear him trying to teach mm-hmm. his son how to be a man, and these are all mm. things that we're still going through. But at the time, yeah. I missed it because I was laughing at Doughboy, and I was laughing <laughs> at Regina King, who Regina is King, now, oh you know, oh, oh my, my gosh, she Regina, was just a baby.
1: Regina, she <laughs> oh, she was so young, and her role in this film is so amazing because I know that black girl. I know her.
0: Everybody knows. I am that black yeah. girl. I'm I'm the chick at the party. <laughs> okay. You don't sit don't guys. give it's me nothing to drink in this an empty <laughs> bottle. You better take this back to the store. <laughs> so
1: but, how yeah, but, did yeah. how did we miss that? You know, I think the reason why well, I, I, I kinda have, I kinda look at it through the lens of a film scholar and a film critic. You know, I write a lot about film and I think a lot about film. I teach about film as well, so I'm looking at it through the lens of that. But many people are just kind of watching movies for entertainment purposes. And rarely do you, re- I mean, because all these things are there, but you can miss them because there's so much other stuff going on. Like it's just, it's such an entertaining movie. There's, you know, there's stuff to laugh about, stuff to cry about, stuff to get happy about. It's a very entertaining movie. It don't miss those messages if you're not looking for them. I, just, I was just looking for them, um, and it, it really impacted me. So you know, people watch movies for for a variety of reasons, and sometimes you just miss it because you're i um, not really looking for, but it, the messages are absolutely there. If you are paying attention, you know, I hope that people will read the article a light will kind of come on in their brain. They'll go back and watch it. But, Oh my gosh, all these messages are there and they've been there the whole time. They just were not looking for them.
0: Okay. We got to take a quick commercial break, but I want you to stick around uh, with me okay. for one more segment, because I want to talk about um, seeing it now after George okay. Floyd. Um, After seeing that murder, after Dante Wright, after Eric Garner, after Breonna Taylor, watching Boys in the Hood now, 30 years later, what's the impact that it has on us Mm. today? We'll be right back. It's 948. We're talking to Lawrence Ware, co-director of the Oklahoma State University African American Studies Program, uh, teaching assistant professor and diversity coordinator in the Department of Philosophy. He's a contributing writer to so many national publications, but it is his article in the New York Times that we are talking about, uh, the 30th anniversary of boys in the hood a vivid examination of white supremacy. Uh, looking at it now, Lawrence, after we've seen mm-hmm. the murder of George Floyd take place right here in Minneapolis, in our city, in our town, following mm-hmm. the trial, having Derek Chauvin recently sentenced and three officers yet to um, go to trial for this crime. Um, How does that movie touch now with everything that we've seen and everything that we know?
1: You know, I I didn't even think about it that when we were talking that you're in Minneapolis, like that, that, that just dawned on me where you are. Um, Mm -hmm. And so this is absolutely relevant to what's going on. You know, one of the things that the film does is that it shows us that the problem is not individual police officers. Because the white police officer, he's chill. Like, he's like, let's, let's go. You know, he, he, he's kind of very matter-of-fact. It's the black police officer in the film, in both instances of which Trey has interactions with him. So when Trey is younger, he has an interaction with this police officer. When he is a senior in high school, he has an interaction with the same police officer. And it's the black police mm-hmm. officer that is so vitriolic towards him, that is so, dare I say, evil um, mm-hmm. in the film, right? Uh, one of the most evil characters in the film. I mean, you know, you have your, your gangsters who are doing bad things, but they're good. You know? and, and, and you begin to realize through the telling of the film why these kids are the way that they are. The really mm-hmm. evil person is the adult who's a police officer. And what the film does is it lets us know that the problem is not in individual officers, but the problem is in the system that the police officers mm. are in, that, that there's something going on. He doesn't go into very much depth here, but he, he, he lets us know that something is going on with the things that police officers believe, the things that police officers say, like something's going on there, and that's what impacts. Um, the adverse uh, react well, the adverse uh, interactions that they have with the kids, and so without a doubt, he has a lot on his mind when he comes to police officers. And again, this is the reason why this really resonated with me because as a young black boy, I'm told, "Be careful, police officers. Be careful, police officers. Then mm-hmm. you can end up dead if you're not if you're not careful, police officers." I'm, I'm ten being told this, and so I see on film this is not something that is unique to my experience, but this is something that is a universal black American experience. Every person in America who is black, who has a skin like mine, has something on their minds when it comes to police officers, and using that thing is not good. So, so there's a lot on the mind of John Singleton with this film when it comes to police. He has a lot of things to say, and he's very, very concerned about it. And he, re- he returns this motif. In other films like *Poetic Justice* and other films, mm-hmm. where he he is very suspicious of police officers.
0: It's so funny that you say that because my son didn't realize that white kids didn't have this. Reality uh, and that mm. was not their interaction with police. Um, you know, mm. we don't let him play with toy guns ever since um Tamir Rice was shot and killed. Tamir Rice. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, wow. we talked to him, um, we showed him the video, we showed him the story, we had him read it to us, we had a discussion. Wow. and we made a How decision. Old How, old How old was he?
1: How old was he? Oh, oh my god, digits?
0: he was like single digits, he's only oh 15, yeah, he's only 15, wow. he's single digits, and, and so oh but he goodness. he loved to play toy guns, and and, mm. and so we like you can't do it anymore we gotta get rid of them you know we're not even giving them away we gotta trash them dude we gotta put them in a black trash bag and drag them out to the curb and so when he saw his friends playing with toy guns he was like well what's going on why are they playing with toy guns exactly exactly and and so Uh, that was his first time realizing that their reality and mine are different
1: you know i i think that there's more a conscious awareness of that uh now because of Black Lives Matter and all the things that have been happening, But when I was a kid, I had the same, I, I was in college, I think. I was old when I realized. Oh, you was a grown that, man.
0: My, look, I at least girl. my baby I
1: was, was seven. seven. I was in, I was in college. <laughs> I didn't want no grown man. Okay, now wait a minute. I was still so young. But I was, I, was, I was in college, though, when I realized that the white experience is very different than the black experience. Because I was raised in a relatively insular black community. You didn't have a lot of interactions with white folks. And so I just thought that everybody's experiences were like mine. But when I got mm-hmm. to college, I began to realize, whoa, white folks, they live in easy. Like, they're right. not worried about the stuff that we're worried about. They're not concerned about the stuff that we're concerned about. They're out there living, driving their trucks with their Confederate flags and having a good time. And we are constantly concerned. about. I remember yeah. I wore a do-rag. Uh, <laughs> I'll never be, I wore a do-rag. And I was driving my car, and I went to my grandmother's house, and she nearly beat the black off me because she said, you can't wear a do-rag uh, as a black man. You can't do it. You can't No. Do it. And And, I mean, that's just something that white folks have no idea, do not have to deal with.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, it, it same same over here. My husband um got ready to go to work, and he came in the house, and it was like he had seen the ghost. I'm like, what's going on? He was like, babe, I got a busted tail light. I'm like, oh, hell. Uh-oh. Oh, man, you got to call yeah. in sick. You can't yeah. you can't. He was like, I promise. I promise. It. Look, it's it's light outside. You know, Minnesota in, in the summertime, we have these long days. And I, he was like, mm. it's, it's summertime. I'm good. I promise i gonna make it home before it gets <laughs> dark outside. And don't you know his boss called the meeting? And so he oh. was working a little bit later he than later. he normally mm-hmm. would. And so mm-hmm. we were at the window like Santa was coming because we were so anxious. Me and my four kids were very anxious about him getting home safely because at that point, every place that he could go to get it fixed was closed. Well, closed. Yeah. Yep. yeah. yeah. Now, now before I you mean- go, I, I know you got to run, but I want you to tell me um, when you wrote this article, when you penned this column for the New York Times about the anniversary of um, the, the, the Boys in the Hood film turning 30 years mm-hmm. old, what did you want people to take away
1: from it? I wanted them to, because one of the things that I know is that the end of the film is so impactful that that's what sticks with you the first time you watch it. So what I wanted people to do was to go back and to rewatch the film, um, looking for the messages that I highlighted. Because uh, because the film, again, has so much, it's such a rich text. There's so much Mm -hmm. that the film uh, is trying to say that you can miss those things if you only focus on how the film ends. And so I know the film, the way that the end is impactful. It made me cry. It made everybody black cry, Uh, white folks cry. Everybody cried at the end of the film. But but the film has other things to say as well. And I wanted us to really appreciate the other things that the film was trying to say. And hopefully I kind of got that message across.
0: Oh, my God, you did. You did an excellent job. Everybody I know thank is you. talking about it. We are sharing it with one another. This is an amazing column. Out of all the things that I've read that you have done, this is by far my favorite. Lawrence, Ware, oh, uh, co-director so of the Oklahoma State University African American Studies Program and New York Times uh, columnist. You, you all have to check out this piece. It is amazing. I appreciate you staying up late with me and being on the show.
1: Thank you for having me.